0: standing out of love and affection for God's holy and fallible word, please. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 26. You'll find it on page either 815 or 933 if you're using a copy of the scripture under the seat in front of you. Last week we began a new liturgical year, a new year, the first Sunday of Advent. Pastor Belanger led us through a scripture giving us this beautiful picture of why Jesus came. He came to destroy the devil, that we might receive righteousness, be made righteous by the righteousness of Christ that is given to us in this free gift of the gospel. He began a new series that we will now spend our whole Advent time on. Answering this question, why did Jesus come? The passage that I am about to read to you answers that question very clearly, but you are going to think like I did last week with the Lutheran pastor, that I've lost my mind and that I'm thinking it's Easter instead of Advent. Stick with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. Hear now the word of God. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him from the dead if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be more pitied than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands, Father, before us is absolute truth, holy, infallible, inerrant, your holy, infallible, and inerrant word. So we would pray that you would open our eyes now to behold that and to behold wonderful things that you give to us as the promise of the gospel that we will never die, that your resurrection gives us the hope of our resurrection now and forevermore. Seal that to us that we might live it out until that day our Savior comes again in the fullness of his glory and we ask it for his sake, amen. Please friends be seated. Have you attended a good funeral lately? I, I don't mean that with any disrespect. I really don't. I, I'm not even trying to make light of that. Uh, but it is a fair question. Have, have you attended a a good funeral lately? As a pastor, even before I went to seminary, a second career, I was a firefighter paramedic for 10 years in the city of Louisville, and I served as the chaplain there. And many times I was called in when uh, there was death involved, and it would eventually lead to various individuals asking me to do uh, a funeral for the person that had died, family members asking me to do the funeral because they had no pastor, they had no church. But even after ordination, I've done scores and scores of funerals so for people that I didn't really know but even more difficult for people I didn't know if they loved the Lord Jesus and were now enjoying uh, the fullness of his favor being in their presence. Have you ever attended one of those funerals? It, it's, it's, it's even hard to attend much less to officiate or to perform. A, a funeral for someone that you're not certain loved, loved Jesus and is now in part in heaven. It seems like what you find, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I have, it seems like what you find is that it's just one story after the next, after the next. And all of these stories, in some way, we're trying to just make everybody feel good about the life that was once lived that's now lost and how wonderful that life was. And so we have stories about good moms and good dads and good children and they did this and they did that. It's just one story after the next, after the next. I have in my closet a firebox in my, on my shelf, and inside that firebox on the very top is my full liturgy for my funeral. I've already laid it all out so that Jennifer gets it right. I laid it all out with all of the liturgy there, all the hymns that we're going to sing, all of the, all the words that will be read. You all are invited to come. And I hope, friends, that my funeral will be quite the opposite of good stories about the life that I lived, the sermons that I preached or didn't preach, or anything else like that, but that there would be one story that would be told, and that would be the story of the hope of resurrection because of the Lord Jesus. I have laid that out in my liturgy. I experienced two funerals that changed my life. If you were in Sunday school this morning, I wished Elder Trigsted could get a little more excited about what he (laughs) teaches. You you can't help but be contagious. You want to just run up there and grab hold of him. I experienced that same thing like he did uh, in Germany as he traced the steps of Martin Luther and, and the Reformation. I experienced that in my mother's funeral and in my grandfather's funeral. It was not story after story about how wonderful their life was, but it was story after story about how God had manifested himself through the work of Jesus Christ and applied it effectually by the work of the Spirit in their life such that we ended both of those funerals singing victory in Jesus. Now, unfortunately, that's not in our Trinity hymnal, but that one will be sung at my funeral. It's in the liturgy. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He bought me and sought me with his redeeming blood. It was like I was in the third heavens with the apostle Paul awaiting the day that Christ would come in the fullness of glory. I hope that my funeral is like that because it's not a story based upon my life but a story based on the fact of the life that will never be taken from me as I live it in the fullness of the glory of my Savior in the presence of my Savior. You have heard me say, beloved, no doubt, standing right here in this pulpit as your pastor, the enemy cannot take away our resurrection. The enemy cannot take away the hope of our resurrection. Why? Why did Jesus come? This is the whole the answer to the question, why did Jesus come not only to destroy the works of the devil that Pastor Boulanger gave to us last week, but He came to destroy death that we might never die. Jesus was born to live and to die, but he was born to die that he might be raised to new life again on the third day and now give us the hope of our resurrection. They cannot take away our resurrection because it's not based upon the stories of our life. It's based upon the story of his life, the gospel that is applied to us by the work of the Spirit. Now, many will say, but what does it matter, Bryant? This guy lived 2,000 years ago. What does it matter if he really did die for our sins and was placed in a tomb and, and, and was and raised to new life again on the third day? Can't we all just have differences? Can't we all just kind of get along and just tolerate one another and, and just live happily ever after? No. A thousand times no, we cannot. Because if, they, if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, and friends, let me put it as simple as this, then you have no hope of resurrection either. And if you have no hope of resurrection, as the Apostle Paul tells us by divine inspiration, then our faith is useless. It's futile, it's empty, it's void. But look what Paul does in the beginning of the chapter, we didn't read the first few verses, but in the beginning of the chapter, he focuses on the gospel. I want to remind you of this gospel that I preached to you, he says. This gospel that has saved you. This gospel that you must hold firmly to. It's of most importance that Christ died and was buried, but raised to new life on the third day so that he could give you the hope of this gospel of life eternal, abundant, and free. From a picture of salvation then, in the opening verses of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul moves to a focus on the resurrection. The gospel is sealed to us because of the hope of the resurrection that is ours. If you take away the resurrection, you have no gospel. Why did Jesus come? He came to destroy death to be raised to new life on the third day that we too might have the hope of this resurrection. And this is not just a faith. Verse 19, look at it. Not just some hope that we have in this life alone, but it is a hope that we have for the life that is to come. This life and the eternal life, an always hope that's found sealed to us by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and the promise of our resurrection as well. Now, we're not moving through this book verse by verse, which, by the way, is our typical fashion if you're visiting with us. We usually move expositorily, line by line, verse by book, or verse by verse through, through different books of the Bible. But let me just give you a, a bird's-eye view of 1 Corinthians. The one-word summary for 1 Corinthians is this word, correction, correction. Because at the beginning of the, of the letter, we read, Now, it has been reported. Now it has been reported. Now it has been reported. He keeps saying that over and over and over again. And then about halfway through, a little before halfway through, then to the rest of the, through the rest of the letter, he moves from now it has been reported to now, now, now. So it's a book of correction to the church at Corinth. It's been reported that you've been doing this. Now I'm saying you better stop that and do that instead of this. It's a letter of correction. And we find the same thing, verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you uh, about the gospel that was preached to you. He moves from this gospel into the, the, to the understanding that it is, it is confirmed in us, applied to us with the hope of, of resurrection, verse 12. But it has been preached that uh, Christ has been raised from the dead. Then how else can how can some of you say that he hasn't been raised from the dead? You see the correction? There must have been in the church at Corinth some understanding where Paul had come, he planted this church, the the church where he was uh, spent the most time, the second most time, Ephesus being the longest period of time, the church in Corinth the second longest period of time. Paul planted the church, he gave them this gospel, the hope of resurrection because of the resurrection of Christ and now some of them are saying, There is no resurrection. There is no hope of the resurrection. So look what Paul does. In the opening verses of our text, beginning in verse 12 and following, five times, Paul gives from the perspective of Jesus the hopelessness of individuals if Christ, in fact, has not been raised from the dead. The end of verse 13, if Christ has not been raised, the beginning of verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, the middle of verse 15, but if he did not raise him, in fact, from the dead, the end of verse 16, Christ has not been raised either, the beginning of verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, he's giving this from the perspective of the Lord Jesus, saying if Christ has not been raised, then then everything is lost. There is no hope at all. Why? Why? Because Paul is giving us this beautiful picture of Christ's resurrection being the hope of our resurrection for this, my friends. Listen, a fancy theological term called substitutionary atonement. It is a doctrine that we hold dear as Presbyterians and Reformed. Substitutionary atonement means this, that Jesus Christ came and died in my place. He who had no sin, became sin for me. But God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I was a sinner, he died for me. I deserved, you deserve, to die for our sin. But Christ has died for us. It's called substitutionary atonement. Christ took our sin in his body and died for that sin. And then he gave to us his righteousness that Pastor Belanger gave to us last week For this very purpose, that we might never die. If Christ was not raised to new life, then there is no substitutionary atonement. And if there is no substitutionary atonement, then Jesus Christ was simply merely a man and he is laying in a tomb somewhere in the Middle East today. That's hopelessness, that's everything lost. And so Paul paints that picture from the perspective of if Jesus really didn't rise again from the dead and then he moves on to look at our perspective as well. Look at verse 14. What is our response to the fact if Jesus had not been raised to new life? Then our preaching is useless. Every sermon that has ever been preached from the first century until today was a waste of time. Preaching is useless if Christ indeed has not been raised from the dead. 16 years of faithful ministry from this pulpit is a waste if Christ had not been raised from the dead. There is no reason for the, the EBs to go back to Uganda if Christ has not been raised from the dead because our preaching would be useless. Not only our preaching would be useless, he says, verse 14 but your faith is useless as well. He goes on to say in verse 17, your faith is futile, simply meaning this, it is empty. It has no substance. It has no grip. Friends, here is the picture that Paul is painting for you and for me today. If Christ indeed has not been raised from the dead, then this is all just a bunch of hogwash. We have come into this place to try to find some way to encourage one another, to build one another up, and it's nothing more than stories about life instead of story about the life of the Lord Jesus who died and rose again for us. But thanks be to God he doesn't leave us there. Look at verse 20. What's that first word of verse 20? Here is that beautiful conjunction, but... But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He gives us a beautiful picture of hope. Not hopelessness, but hopefulness because we have everything to gain if Christ indeed has been raised again to new life. Look what he does back in verse 3 of chapter 15. I passed on to you what was of first importance. He's setting a theme. He's setting a tone for a journey that he's about to make to the climax. And what is that? This is of first importance. What is? That Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins. He was buried and now he gives us even more information, historical information. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He fulfilled what the scriptures said and it leads us then all the way to verse 20 where Paul says not only was he raised but he indeed was raised to new life. And not only indeed was he raised to new life, but the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep, as he says in verse 20. Now that may not mean much to you today, friends. Let me explain it to you from their perspective because it would have meant, they they would have completely understood. The celebration of the first fruits was a celebration that happened during Pentecost. And it was when the crops came in They brought in the first fruits, the first crop, and they presented it as an offering to the Savior, to Yahweh, to God. But it didn't stop there. It wasn't only a celebration at the very beginning of the harvest, but it was a celebration at the beginning of the harvest because of the certainty that they knew that the entire harvest then would come in and their barns would be filled, overflowing. It was a celebration at the beginning. For the entirety. And so Jesus is, or Paul is saying of Jesus, he is the first fruit. For now the entirety. For all of those for whom he has died. For all of the entirety of the elect. Those that have been called from the foundation of the world. He indeed has been raised that we too might have the hope of our resurrection as well. The entirety of the celebration is dependent upon, foundational uh, uh, upon Jesus' resurrection. You see, I I haven't gotten my, my celebrations of Advent and Lent confused. Advent only takes place. Christ was born, yes, to die, but not only to die, but to be raised to new life that we too might have the hope of our own resurrection, the first fruit for the entirety of the celebration of all of the elect, which then from our perspective gives us this beautiful picture of in Christ we have everything to gain. This isn't a hope that we have just in this life, but it is the hope that is ours in this life and for the life that is to come. And that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say, verse 21 and following, giving us this picture of the two Adams. The entirety of the celebration because of Christ's resurrection that will become our resurrection, he gives us, he explains it in this picture. Death came through one man, the resurrection from the dead comes in another man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ All will be made alive. Now what is Paul saying? All of us die and all of us will live. Is he giving us a picture of universalism here? Absolutely not. We'll get to that in one second. We have this picture, another fancy doctrinal word. It's called original sin. We believe it to be true. We believe it to be biblical. Not only from this passage, but from the end of Romans chapter 5 as well. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. Our first parents... Adam and Eve, acting as our representatives, did exactly what every one of you and what I would have done as well. We would have eaten the forbidden fruit just like they ate the forbidden fruit. And as our parents, as scripture tells us, the first Adam, because of his sin, we now are born in sin. It's called original sin. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. It is our nature And from original sin comes our actual sin. We actually go out into the world and we do what we shouldn't do. We say what we shouldn't say and we don't do what we should do and we don't say what we should say. It's called original sin. That comes to us, inherited to us by our first parents, Adam and Eve. But in Christ, all will be made alive. Does that all mean then that everybody in the world will be saved? If everybody dies in the first Adam, Will everybody die or be raised to new life in the second Adam? No, because look at verse 23. He now gives us an order, an order that says, but each in his own turn. We are made alive only, each of us, by our own turn. First, Christ, the first fruits, his resurrection, and then all of those who belong to him, as Paul says, the elect, the ones for whom he came to die. And then the end will come and death will be defeated. Death will be destroyed. All dominion, authority and power of the evil one will be destroyed and the last enemy will be put under his feet and utterly destroyed and that last enemy is death. Because of the hope of the resurrection of Christ, we too have the hope of our resurrection as well. This is not a hope just for this life. It is the hope for this life and the life which is to come. Jesus Christ was born, but he was born to die. But he died in order that he might be raised to new life on the third day, that we too, those who belong to him, might have the hope of our resurrection as well. What does it matter? It's a matter of life and death, friends. I can't say this more simply and more lovingly than this. If you're here today and you are apart from Christ, you are dead you are still dead in your sin and transgression. I don't care how much faith you think you have. Your faith is futile. You are still dead in your sin and in your, uh, your hope of nothing if you are apart from trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. But if that faith does describe you, if you are clinging to Christ and the hope of his resurrection gives you the hope of your resurrection, then it's a matter of life and death. What does it matter? It matters everything. Some time ago, in the front of the, the, the Dallas Morning News, not the most conservative paper that there was, but uh, on the, uh, around the Lenten season was this article right here, Savior or Martyr? I want to read just the very beginning, the very beginning of this article and explain it to you then. His students are studying to be ministers and theologians, They've committed their lives to following Jesus' teachings. But more and more, some reject the usual Christian talk about Jesus' death. They don't consider Jesus a ransom for sin. They shudder at hymns glorifying the, quote, power of the blood, unquote. They cringe at calling a day that Jesus died good on Good Friday. This, or this, uh, this article goes on to say, it is written by, from someone I'm guessing is perhaps uh, at, at best maybe a, a seeker, someone who's asking questions, someone who's filled with doubts. And she is going to all of these religious individuals, not only around Dallas, uh, but around our country. She's going around asking about uh, the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the hope it gives. And what she's finding from religious individuals, people studying for gospel ministry, is this. It doesn't matter. Don't get all caught up in that gory stuff of blood and stuff like that. Let's think happy thoughts. Let's think good thoughts. Let's think Pollyanna thoughts. That's exactly, And she she is going, yeah, yeah but, she's saying, to all of these religious people. But doesn't the Bible say that that he who knew no sin became sin. Yeah, yeah, get over that. But doesn't the Bible, she's trying to get the religious people to tell her that the only hope is that Jesus died and rose again and that's your only hope as well. And they rob her from that and she's left with a, well, is he a savior or is he a martyr? I don't know. What does it matter? If Jesus Christ came and was born, and he lived a great life, and he was filled with love, and he was filled with compassion, and he was filled with grace and mercy, and we're going to leave it at that, then friends, listen to me. He is no better than any gift that is going to be put under your Christmas tree this year because someday that gift will be discarded just like Jesus will. But if he, in fact, was born the first advent to grow in stature and favor with God and man, to teach absolute truth, and then to take our sin in his body and die for that sin, but not only die for that sin, but be raised to new life, not only raised to new life, but then ascended back to the right hand of the Father, then and only then, my friends, do we have a hope that is an always hope, not a hope just in this life to gather together and tell one another stories but a hope that we can gather together and cling to the one story, the story of first importance, that Christ was born, Christ died, he carried our sins in his body on the cross, and on the third day he rose again that we too indeed might have the hope of our resurrection as well. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is this Advent season to even celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. This is our hope that he was born to die, that he might be raised to new life, that we too might have that same hope. So Father, encourage us in this faith, the only faith, Encourage us in our labor to live this gospel out, knowing that we will never die. We are yours, bought with a price. And though our souls may be separate from our bodies for a time, our bodies resting in the grave, and our soul, as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Savior. For our souls to be present with the Savior and our bodies to rest in the grave, there is coming a day when the trumpet will sound And the graves will be open and bodies and souls will be reunited together and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, but only you dwelling in our presence and us worshiping you with everything that we have. Until that day, this is a glimpse right here, right now, a glimpse of that eternal worship in our worship even today. So bless us and cause us to worship you today and every day for the resurrection hope that's ours and we pray it in Jesus name and for his sake Amen